then all of a sudden the art world decided, oh, okay, we, we don't like that kind of art anymore now. What we like is we like conceptual art. And, and like in Gober's case, he made a bag of donuts. And, um, you know, so the, it suddenly became worth all this money. But it, Edward Brzezinski came along and he walked into this gallery and he saw these donuts sitting there, right? And and he he heard how much they were worth. So he's like, well, I want to know if they taste good too, right? So he's like, yeah. right? And, yeah. and then With he also was, the right? attitude, like, fuck this gallery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was kind of like a five easy pieces character, you know, in a way. Yeah. You know? Like a Jack Nicholson guy. <laughs> Today on the show, we are joined with Brian Vincent, who is the co-creator of the documentary Make Me Famous. Make Me Famous takes a deep dive of the Lower East Side of New York City right into the underground art scene. And what was going on there was so fucking punk rock and shaped the art scene as a whole. And Brian took the time to shine a light on some of these untold legends. And speaking of untold legends, big narrative around this film goes around a man named Edward Brzezinski. And what is so cool about this doc, around making you feel that you're right there in the 80s, in the mix of all the grit and glam that's going on, this guy Edward was the main focus of it. And years down the line, a friend informed their community that Edward has passed away. But if you look into the obituaries and news reports, there wasn't a record of him being deceased to the point it was speculated Edward Brzezinski has faked his own death. Because he seems like the type of guy who would fucking do that. (laughs) And my boy Brian, who's on the show today, also uncovered that mystery while telling this whole story of the Lower East Side art scene in the 1980s. So cool. And even around that, I feel like this conversation has fueled an extra fire of my artistic and creative side. And I think this is a great episode to anyone who's pursuing their passions, whether you're a musician, filmmaker, writer, etc., etc., I feel like you can get something out of the spirit of the film and the spirit of Edward Brzezinski, the spirit of Brian, and the spirit of the people in the Lower East Side of New York who are just doing it because this is what they do. This is what their passion is. This is what they unconsciously do when they wake up in the morning. And just never giving up, even when you're struggling at being an artist. I feel like everybody looks for the fame and maybe it's not even for the attention it's to have the funding to do what you need to do but a lot of these people they've stuck it out and maybe they didn't realize at the time that they are absolute legends for shaping the scene whether people know their name or not but brian did an excellent job at shining the light on them and once again i just love this talk so let's get into this one with Brian Vincent of Make Me Famous. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Hey, great, Brian. How are you doing today? Excellent, excellent. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to meet you, man. Excited to pick your brain. Uh, obviously, we're here to talk about Make Me Famous, but also uh, one thing I really loved about this film, too, is just the clash between documenting a part of time and also around following this journey of a person and like his interesting story and all that too. And uh, I kind of just really want to get into like what inspired you to bring this to life. Cause obviously you're really close to the scene that happened throughout like the eighties in New York and everything. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's cool that you brought it to life. And I kind of want to know like how this came to be. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to uh, to share that. This piece uh, started as a play, actually. I was thinking about making a play that would be really interesting. I like to create uh, uh, things that I'm in. Uh, and so I originally started interviewing all these people thinking I was going to write a play. 
But then there was all these incredible stories about Edward Brzezinski. And in a play, you know, you tend to concentrate on one moment, right? And then you kind of unspool that. Whereas in this case, it, it really ended up being that there were all these stories that kind of added up to one thing. And on top of that, there's this incredible archival that we discovered, and that had to be seen. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm not of the 80s scene. I was too young to be here then. But I was totally fascinated by that time period because of all the great artists that came out of then. And also because when I delved deeper into it, when I looked into like what created this scene, it was sort of like a a bunch of people. I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of people, really, that all banded uh, together and they rented storefronts as the, the city was completely broke and it was dangerous. And the only place where the artists could afford to live was like the most dangerous of all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what's really cool too. Um, I learned a lot like throughout this movie too, about uh, that group of people who do more like visual arts and stuff. But uh, one thing I'm really into is old school, hardcore music. And this one band uh, uh, from around there, they always talk about the lower East side in eighties. So I feel like this just kind of gave me like a different look of maybe another subsection of just grit and passionate people almost uh doing it because this is just what they do they're creatives and almost just make these tight-knit communities that are just super special yeah that's that's really the hammer on on the nail there it, it there wasn't a lot of money to be made then and so there wasn't this dream of all become a rich artist you know it if you were doing it it was because you loved doing it and and you know they were too young then to get their stuff into the galleries because the galleries they were all kind of like looking for earthworks and kind of strange um things that had nothing to do with painting right so these young people they they got together and they sort of performed for each other but they didn't just like go, oh, let's do a um, a gallery show. They would do like, uh, oh, how about like, you know, you play some music and I'll I'll hang up paintings and we'll do photography and then we'll take pictures of each other and then we'll perform like Eric Bogosian. I'll just do monologues. And so there was this explosion of creativity, but the goal was to be the most creative person. <laughs> and so like everybody was uh, um, from what I gather anyway, from all the all the research, they were all pushing each other to go further in that way. And then all of a sudden, a few of them became famous and they became rich. And it was like the the because they had created all this great artwork, it changed the whole art scene. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted Basquiat, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who was just kind of hanging around and making all these paintings and tearing off a refrigerator door and making a painting on it and stuff. All of a sudden that became worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. and that changed the whole scene up. And, um, you know, of course, then people were picking up video cameras. But back then, if you had a video camera, it weighed like, you know, 40 pounds and it was huge. <laughs> right. So. So like, you know, up until that point, everything they were doing down in the Lower East Side, it was kind of invisible, right? And so you'd make a, you'd, they'd make a show and it would be stellar and people talk about it for years, and but it wasn't recorded, right? Mm. So all of a sudden though, everybody wanted to chase that, the fame dream and, you know, Madonna who was performing in Danceteria, all of a sudden she takes off. And, you know, there's numerous other people too, like Keith Haring blew up and there was Edward Brzezinski, you know, and he was trying to make it too. And so what happened was um, I'm an actor and sometimes, you know, I'm out of, I'm out of work, right. As actors can, can be. And so I was doing a waiter job. Right. And I had been delving into the 1980s art scene, like I reading all these books and I love going to the museums in New York and just checking out all this incredible art. But um, anyway, so I was working and I told 
you know, this other waiter that I'd been really into, into the 1980s art scene. And it turned out that this was Lenny Kisco, who's in the movie. And he was a collector. Uh, and, you know, Brzezinski, he tells me, this guy, I used to collect him all through the 80s. And he says, Brzezinski used to complain. He used to say, oh, my main benefactor is a waiter. That's my life, you know? Yeah. And and I, I could totally relate. And I thought that was funny and cool. And so I, I, I had to go see this art. And when I went to go see this art, Lenny lives in like this uh, railroad apartment that he's had since the 80s. And every square inch of his apartment is covered in a painting by Brzezinski. And so cool. yeah, he was just the way he was like kind of Gollum you know, with my precious and, and, and he was <laughs> like, and I saw it too. I, I was looking at the art and I was like, this is great. How could this guy not have gotten famous? And so that's when the um, inspiration hit and the research began and that, and I went into the communities um, of the people that were still left from the eighties and they're still doing all their shows. So that's I amazing. Yeah, yeah, they still yeah. perform for each other, and uh, the the spirit is still alive with them. They're they're so fun that way, and so that's how I got to know them, and and had really intimate um, friendships with some of them, like uh, Richard Hamilton, who's also from uh, Canada. He's from Vancouver. He is called the Godfather of Street Art, right? And and he um. I had met him at a memorial for an art critic uh, and, and, and in 2014, and he had heard that I was I was interested in Brzezinski. He came running over and handed me like he, his phone number and all this, and then he sort of disappeared on me. It took me years to get a hold of him, and when I did, uh, he was he was like so. Um, he he was in a he was in a, like this interesting state where he he wanted me to help him assist him paint and st like assist him while he painted so i i got to know these people like over years and years of this kind of stuff before we even did the interviews oh cool cool that's that's awesome and i really appreciated that you said that they still like just rock these shows now too and that's like just the sign of a true artist where I don't know it's beyond like trying to make it or whatever you're just doing it because you do it and I feel like that's where the most real and raw stuff comes out of whether it's visual arts filmmaking music all that just because it's something in you and it's just you got to get it out because that's life you know and yeah that's the that's the pure stuff there and and that is still abounding with this group and and they're super excited about my interest in someone they hadn't thought about in many years uh, and especially because so many uh people you know scholars or documentarians or whatever they want to know about Basquiat they want to know about Keith Haring and so this was like oh wow Edward Brzezinski wow you're really taking me back now and mm -hmm. um but they they remembered Brzezinski fondly, not just for his art, which 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 was always sort of pure because he wasn't selling it for a lot. But they also remembered that he went to all their shows. Yeah, yeah. And, I think yeah. yeah, something that's really cool too, like throughout the film and you um, show showcasing Edward Brzezinski is that it seemed like whether people loved him or hated him. Like there's no like argument like how integral of a part he was to that scene, and yeah. and it was it's just it's just it's amazing. Thank you, and really, it it's an important thing because that's really what the movie is about. It it really sh once I researched all this, and you and you say, well, look at all these artists that are now very famous that came from that era, but what about those other artists that? were part of that scene too and they're still they're still out there doing it too and uh and you saw all these varying degrees of how the art industry or like I don't know how to describe it the art market takes them but there's still 
they're still out there doing this, you know? And, mm -hmm. and like you said, it's because they're born with this. They like Richard Hamilton used to say, I, I got it in me. I have to get it out. I have to get this on, on canvas right now, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, I, it makes you wonder even, I guess, if the people that, that are so famous, you know, like, um, how, if, you know, I, I, it makes you wonder if they'd still be doing it at the same level. And I think they would, um, if they didn't make it either. And, and I think you see that in the movie, even though people are really honest about how they felt about Edward as a person. Um, mm -hmm. but that, that the respect they had for his getting up every day and making something like that's, that's solid. Yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, once again, I love how you captured this story, too. And even there's a little like intriguing bit going on throughout it that I don't I don't want to spoil the end conclusion in case somebody does not know the story of Edward Brzezinski. But it, it almost like alongside your your docu you're showing showcasing like this scene in the 80s. But then it kind of turns into a bit of a mystery in a way whether edward faked his own death or not which i don't know that's that's kind of like such a cool like subplot like going on throughout like educating us about this scene as well yeah you know edward was a rascal yeah. but they saw the way that they behaved and uh presented themselves as a as an additional way of performing their art and that continues to this day. Like you'll see in in the movie, you know, um, there's a, a couple of gentlemen who still dress from their from a different century, and part of their um, part of what they're putting forward is a persona. Um, and so Edward, uh, I learned about all this though um, without really knowing going into it at all about about Edward at all. I was just really inspired by his art. And so the only thing that was on the internet when I first started was Edward was in the Brooklyn Museum. He had a nice painting there. And there was also a story. There were a number of stories all over the place about Edward Brzezinski eating another artist's um, artwork. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, he, that was just so fascinating to me that that Edward had just these few little stories and they were they were really interesting things. Um, but what else was there? And so as we researched, which took years and years, um, I realized what a, what a rascal Edward could be. And though he has this obituary, I came to find out he wasn't on the Social Security master death file here in the United States, which which you have to be on if you're dead. Yeah. And um, so th this intriguing story about how Edward Brzezinski died became more interesting, and especially because it all spools through his gallery uh, friends and who supported and showed Edward. And um, so... Un unspooling that story was a lot of fun um and it it required also the other artists coming to the Cote d'Azur and uh and us all doing it together which we figured it out in real time and it's in the movie yeah that's amazing too especially uh just documenting that and filming all that and even I was so impressed to, uh, like you mentioned, back in the 80s, cameras were really big. It wasn't common to carry them around. But the amount of footage you have of these galleries, it almost like feels like you caught this in real time and planned to make this movie with that, too. Because, again, like it showcases uh, a lot of like Edward's character and like turns into like little subplots and you can like kind of like really see like uh what's happening in that period of time and in his apartment and and with the people involved who you also interview they're all there in this footage in in the 80s too and like how did you go about like mining all that did one person just was it like one guy documenting all this or was like a bunch of them like because it's so impressive Thank you. Well, I got, I have to give uh, the credit to Brzezinski himself 
and his friend Jim C, who's a videographer, uh, who was getting his PhD uh, and came down to New York City uh, from upstate. He was getting his PhD in art, and he realized that the 1980s art scene was was the most exciting possible thing he could be filming. And so he took his student loan money and he started filming uh, the Lower East Side. And Brzezinski, um, who was always forward thinking, uh, he he asked Jim uh, to film his openings across the street from the men's shelter on the up on the fifth floor walk up. And you you know that's what helps the audience to feel like they're living there. And I can't tell you how excited I was when we found that. And uh, Jim C, who's this like you know. In- incredible guy lives in Woodstock. Uh, but when I reached out to him, he said, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm going to make a documentary about Brzezinski someday. And so I was, I was really bummed as I was like, Oh, wow. I don't think I can make this movie without it, Jim. And then about a year later, I get a call from him and he says, Oh, I had this terrible dream. Brzezinski came in my dream and he said, you will work with Brian and you will let him use this movie, this for the movie. And so he, he he's been a sweetheart ever since. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, so so that that's how that came about. But Jim just kept feeding me hours and hours of this material, and in fact, he's he had uh, somewhere near a hundred hours of it. And between in, the interviews, which which uh, the interviews became uh, the way to tell his career and his life story. Um, the most important aspect of that generally was that they were also in the archival. And and the way that that eventually the movie got structured, it was it was structured all the way th- um, through his obituary. And the reason that I did that was because the obituary tells the important stories of his career. And luckily, because they're filmed, then we can live them with him. But eventually, I, 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 I take the obituary and question its validity itself, so that the structure of the movie sort of looks inward and then kind of explodes on itself, you know, and and then becomes real time. So, so anyway, that the the archival is just genius. And I got to hand it to Brzezinski. I mean, he thought about it ahead of time. Boy, I should be filming myself. And, and, and that's what he did. Yeah. That's, that's magic that you got all that footage and, and that he did that too. And especially, yeah, just putting it together. Like it, that had to be really hard to like go through it and uh, decide what am I going to put into almost progress the story and all that, which you got, you did like such a great job with as well. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. The editing um, is just a whole other aspect of it because once you, once you get good stuff, you just want more good stuff. And then you end up um, going, wow, you know, how can I, how can I tell this story so that the audience feels like they're there and also that they are, learn you know they're 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 learning something anina no who's the um italian woman in the movie she she has uh she was basquiat's first gallerist uh she she told me after she saw the movie she came uh, over to me and she said you made art history fun and mm. that was like wow that was like the greatest compliment for me um because when you're editing something and it's like it's really more like a novel when it's a feature than than it is anything else it it has three acts and and it's meant to around you know p- p- around the 70th minute to find a very surprising plot point turnaround and so i tried to fit it into the structure of of movies in in a way in that way uh, but it it's it's almost like cheating when you have this much good archival. Yeah, that's awesome though. Yeah, I'm sure there's like almost like a point where you're editing and you like certain scenes or some things he said too, but you gotta like cut it for the sake of the story and pushing the documentary forward and everything. 
yeah, that kills you. That's the hardest thing in the world. Um, my my wife is very good at telling me uh, when something's not working, though. So, <laughs> so <I laughs> yeah. <have> that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you probably could take um the the extras and maybe make like a YouTube channel or something like just call it like classic eighties like New York art or something and just because this is like so rare to even see footage like this and uh one thing i just really appreciated about um their lifestyle of that scene too is like like you mentioned like uh edward's apartment was across from a men's shelter which is just a place with homeless and just uh drugs people sleeping on the street and but he also like as he was doing his art in setting up his own gallery it seems like there was a bit of glam to it in a strange way, in a gritty way, you know, like just how they kind of like put pride in hanging up their work and then having these parties with drinks and, and inviting uh, specific people to see their stuff and sell their work. And I just thought that was just so cool. And it's almost like a story of making the most of what you have. I, 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 I meet a lot of different creatives and uh, sometimes they feel a little self-conscious of not always having maybe the best space or funding or like a videographer doesn't have the newest camera, but you can honestly make magic with what you have now. And like, just by putting that energy into it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly uh, the thing that I think inspires uh, the most people about this era all of these young people, though, are, um, or I should say, most of these young people of the 80s were very trained. They had been to art school and they had spent years training it. Richard Hamilton, for instance, he, he had uh, spent many, many years uh, studying art before he came to New York and just stunned the city with his, his street art that changed the world. And the same goes with these young people. They were so highly trained. And so they were entertaining each other with things that I think they didn't think would end up in museums or anything. I mean, they were making their own posters and they were performing for each other. And they just kept pushing each other, like Eric Bogosian said, like, you could, you could, you could do it more. You could be more creative, you know, like, and, and until it, it just sort of exploded. And this video that we have, this archival, this great archival shows you the uh, incredible lengths they went to to make each each thing uh, and each show like a stunning um, one of a kind deal. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what a lot of people remember about this time period. I mean, all of a sudden, though, everybody wanted a piece of that. And and that went on for about seven or eight years. And then AIDS hit and and AIDS just decimated these um, wonderful young people. And they started dying around 1983, but it got, you know, really, really bad in 85 or so. And, and around 89, um, 88, when a lot of this had been hollowed out, obviously they weren't going to all be hanging out kind of like with where we have COVID now, uh, and obviously, and people don't get together as much as they used to. And, and AIDS did the same thing to them. And then all of a sudden the art world decided, oh, okay, we, we don't like that kind of art anymore. Now, what we like is we like conceptual art that's all just like you know like uh coons you know or something like that and and i don't get me wrong i like coons i love the dog and i love all the things he does um but you know robert gober you know like they, they make a, a a piece of um like a wood wood or something made out of something else and you walk into the gallery and you go well what is what is that what does that mean and and like in gober's case he made a bag of donuts and, um, you know, so the, it suddenly became worth all this money, but it, Edward Brzezinski came along and he walked into this gallery and he saw these donuts sitting there. Right. And, and he, he heard how much they were worth. So he's like, well, I want to know if they taste good too. Right. So he's yeah. Right. And, yeah. and then With he also was the like, attitude, like, fuck this gallery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was kind of like a five easy pieces character, you know, in a way. Yeah. You know, like a Jack Nicholson guy. But then later those donuts, they sold for 250 grand, like just like a, 
few years later. So, you know, Gober should be doing, you know, he should be celebrating Brzezinski, you know, um, but uh, but his style of painting didn't really come back until just recently. Like people now, they love Basquiat, but like five, six, seven years ago when I was doing this project, there was still a lot of people going, I don't know if it's that good. Oh, wow. It's almost like these fat or like in a way, like art turns into like fads for certain people. Like they try to like, I don't know, there's like a boom where they're like, this is in now and this isn't. That was like yesterday and like moving exactly. on. Like it's almost like music, which uh-huh. uh, is, I don't know, it's it's interesting for me too, because uh, I haven't dove deep into the visual art world, but um, it's really cool to just see this uh presented to me in this film and everything it just gave me extra layers of appreciation and uh i'm even seeing it like coincide with different forms of art just the type of people and the spirits and uh even from that time like like i used the word grit and like just how grimy a bit it, it was um you really feel it in the art uh that especially like that edward makes like you look at it and you you have a feeling and um it makes me kind of think too like as you mentioned too he he wasn't the most famous guy back in the day but i wonder if he did got famous would that affect his art too because it seems like his work was very emotional and reflected the place he was in at the time that's a great great comment and um i would have i would love to see that art where Edward felt successful. Mm-hmm. He still managed though with his, um, I guess I'd call it punk rock art, like classic classical punk or something, the way he painted, because he still, even though he's suffered a lot, like like a lot of artists do, his art when you're around is it's pretty exciting and it gives it gives you a lot of joy. Um, you know, it it's so I don't really know how he would do that. And I would love to know that's for sure. Um, But like I say, all these guys and all these ladies and gentlemen uh, of the eighties, they're out there still fighting the good fight. You know, they perform for each other still. And, and um, we, we had the great pleasure too of uh, James Romberger and Marguerite Van Cook who, uh, who are in this, uh, this movie as uh, important subjects also made original artwork for the movie and uh they i i really wanted that because first of all james romberger he's one of the greatest artists that i've ever witnessed uh he he in his his art is about um is is very realistic pastels that he makes and and often of the lower east side and his his um, work is in the Metropolitan Museum and whatnot. And his wife, Mar- Marguerite Van Cook, she does installations and things like that. So uh, when when there wasn't archival of Edward, then I my dream or my hope was that the friends and the close people to Edward might make um, might make art that could help tell the story. And that's exactly what happens. Like, for instance, you see that in the AIDS uh, section and you'll see James Romberger made this incredible silhouette and Marguerite Van Cook did this amazing installation when uh, of throwing wine. And Richard Hambleton also made incredible shadow man pieces. Richard was known as the shadow man. And Edward Brzezinski, as his career went on, he became sort of a fringe character. And though we didn't have him in video anymore because he had moved to a different country uh um richard hambleton made shadow art uh that helped tell that story yeah that's actually uh some of the pieces i loved the most uh in the watching the film the shadow men and stuff because it's it's kind of cool like uh for people who are listening um just the the style was kind of it seemed like it was like spray painted on different brick walls outside but if you were walking down that alley for like the first time in the middle of the night like it's like something that could just like 
freak you out or like make you look over your shoulder for a moment too and there's something i really appreciated about it and i think even one person uh described it as like oh it's great work but it's kind of like demonic or i forget the word they use but it's, yeah, it's, it's got a bit cool. of evil in it right yeah <laughs> yeah that was it it's like it's got a bit of it's almost <laughs> like a, a just trolling the public in a way you know that's that's a really good um interesting thing to talk about too is that these this art wasn't necessarily made to make you know for your enjoyment too it was it was I guess I I'm saying that in the wrong way. It it had a s element to it that wasn't afraid to to have that kind of depth to it, you yeah. know, to scare you even or whatever it is. Because Brzezinski's style of art and the, the style of art that was really in at that time, it was emotional and it was supposed to be authentic. Yeah, it was totally bold and like I'd say like I find some people when they create something it could be a piece of art like music um sometimes they'll try to pander to like a bigger audience where i feel like a lot of the work you showcase in this movie didn't do that it was more like yeah this is how i fucking feel today type of thing and it's there's like something just so like honest and beautiful about that even with like really dark paintings and stuff like that yeah and, and you know to catch that is a piece of history right there because what we see in today's art world it seems to me it 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 pushes the young people into you know um trying to find that money success and uh you know get to the right gallery and 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 see if you can um and start making that money and as as opposed to this artwork maturing and and these artists maturing and making artwork that uh, they could fail at or or that would be so unbelievably incredible, but no one knew about like Basquiat. And all of a sudden they had to collect all of it uh, because he had matured and he had been making art because that's what he had to do. I have to make art right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even um, you kind of showcase too as some of these old buildings would like get torn down or whatever, just change to different shops and stuff. Um, these places where these artists were living, instead of people preserving this stuff, they, I don't know, just a big businessman comes in, just sees like a bunch of random shit, like thinks it's garbage. And a lot of, this work from that time period is gone now, you know, just you could probably dig through a landfill like or something or just uh, it's it's interesting uh, how much stuff uh, probably isn't archived or captured. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's still paintings underneath beds and, and in attics all over the place, I'm sure. Uh, and it's it, the Lower East Side's has always been a place that attracted artists. And in, in fact, at the turn of the century, that's where they went as well. Um, and it's gone up and down. Um, and the, the story, like a lot of other urban decay places, uh, when the artists finally come in, it's usually because they can afford it. You know, they, nobody else wants to live there. And so people say, um, you know, the, the artists have no money. So that's what I'm, that's what I mean. And so they move in where there's no money and then they start improving everything and suddenly it becomes worth money because that's where you want to go. You want to go where all this fun stuff's going on, all this hip stuff. I mean, some of this happened in Brooklyn in the last 15, 20 years. Brooklyn is now, it's so gorgeous, but uh, it, back when I moved to New York in 1990, it, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but people like Richard Hamilton and Keith Haring they they actually started a movement that has transformed societies all over the world because of street art and people take this urban decay and then they they make art on it and it it's, draws people to it and and then that neighborhood gets fixed so there's a real healing going on there there's a real healing um that's important but on the other hand, um, a lot of this art and the artists who do it and the trailblazers and the pioneers often get overlooked because uh, there's only room in in the spectrum of the media for a couple of artists. And uh, 
you know, if you don't get in that on that golden nail, you know, you, you may be chasing that um, for quite a while. Uh, but but then there may come along someone like myself who uh, ch who's really interested in careers of people who are unknown artists because I think it it's a telling a story that no one knows where you're going right is is so mm, interesting yeah and just so many story you know there's so many documentaries about famous people and 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 in a in a documentary like that you have to find something new like about a famous person. And then you tell that story and then it goes on a shelf with like a thousand other movies about that famous person. But yeah. like if you find somebody that's new, but had devoted their life to art, like you don't know what's going to happen. And what happened here with, with all of this investigating and what it turned into with this movie is it's, it surprised me too. I'm, I'm really surprised and I'm, I'm really I know that the community itself is real proud of it too. They come and join us on our social media. Uh, we are at Make Me Famous Movie on Instagram and Make Me Famous Movie on Facebook and Famous Art Doc on Twitter. But they, the community is really there on Instagram and they communicate with each other and they're really cheering our movie along and a lot of these people moved on to have these incredible careers too. A lot of them in uh, publishing and um, you know, cause th these are people who where where their art shown the most in it would, you know, they'd, they'd work in magazines and all kinds of other places that are helpful to us still with this movie. And so, like I said, the, the scene itself in the Lower East Side may be dead in some ways. It, there's a, there's a few pockets there, but those people there's they're not retired yet, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and uh, some of them are still popping off right now. Like uh, Frank Holiday in our movie, the Guggenheim gave him a big uh, grant recently, and Scott Covert is another guy who's got shows um, that are that are suddenly exploding, and nice. so you get to see them suddenly become famous. And, and that's real nice. Like same with Richard Hamilton. When I first uh, got to know him, he had been famous, but then a documentary came out about him called Shadow Man. And all of a sudden he became famous again. And mm -hmm. I, I was friends with him through the whole period of him suddenly becoming famous again, all of his art being worth, you know, a gajillion dollars overnight. And um, so that's really fun. And so like you get this rock and roll feeling from 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 the whole vibe and uh, because they're still they're still um, out there playing. Yeah, that's uh, that's so cool. Like even that's what I respect so much about it, too, just them being about it. And even back in the in, in the day when they started too, like they had no idea that they are literally legends doing this, you know, even whether they became famous or not too, like they are a part of this bigger movement by being there and inspiring each other and just becoming like almost their own like ecosystem of art and inspiration and, and, and everything. And I think this is just so cool, Brian, that you took the time to piece it together showcase it because i do believe uh these people should be celebrated as well and um i feel like you're a very similar spirit to mine too like even though once in a while like nowadays people see me get bigger guests but when i started um doing these interviews um i was just seeing some unknown stories in different scenes and stuff like that of like some cool people that nobody heard about and it's just like, why don't people know you? Or like, even in my mind, it's like, why isn't this pers fame, person famous, you know? And you even mentioned like in the art world, like maybe one or two will get picked, you know? it's It almost seems like it's like a lottery. And sometimes those people who do get picked, they're just as talented as the unknown, you know? And it, there's just so many stories of people just working really hard and uh, their stories not being told, so lots of respect for you to even like go beyond the names in that scene talk to people who were there underground and and all that i think that's that's just awesome man 
Oh, thank you. You know, I, I can relate uh, to it. And that's that's really why it meant a lot to me to try to bring Brzezinski's story forward, because I'm an actor. I've been in a number of things off and on over the years, and I've also been unemployed over the years, and I've had to make my own projects as well. And I, w- I don't maybe it, I shouldn't say had to because it's ended up uh, defining who I am um, and I want to make more of it. But I'm I'm not a famous actor. You know, that means that every time I go in for an audition, I got to beat out 200 people for some little thing, you know, and and that's hard to do over and over and over and over and over and over. And that and that's what these artists face as well. But like Eric Bogosian says in the movie, he says something great about the art world is that they wake up every day and they make something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas, you know, sometimes I felt with the acting, I, I'm waiting for something to happen or I'm working on an audition that goes away forever. But they do have a, a something on us there with the, with the artists because even if they're not, famous and nobody's clamoring for what they're what they what they're making yet they're making something and they're making the most creative thing they can make right there and i think that's just great and i think that's really important to check out and i don't want to miss any you know great stories out there in history and so so thank you for that and and that's something i'm going to keep doing actually I, i have other artists as in mind and uh and i just want to bring them forward that's so awesome and i respect that like i said you're you're a similar soul in a way uh, except uh i picked up a camera and i got too lazy with it <laughs> i realized uh <laughs> podcasting is way easier to sit to tell a story even though i do enjoy uh documentaries myself but uh yeah and again like another thing i to commend you on just the amount of time uh that goes into making a great documentary you're following people and even as you start to the whole thing is in piece together and there's almost this unknown of whether the story is going to have like a conclusion to it you know like you can keep going and i've known people who worked on documentaries uh sometimes they'll take a year sometimes they'll take eight years you know just because it doesn't have that ending maybe they found something uh that's interesting going on but it doesn't like piece together you know it's uh so that had to be really interesting and i'm really trying not to spoil uh the edward uh plot as well but uh, (laughs) you haven't you haven't yeah that's that's cool that you you ended up getting closure at the end to even tell that sub story within it yeah it it I didn't know when I started, as you said, even when I began the research, I didn't even know when we'd start filming. There came a day when I knew it was right to do it um, because of how many things I I now knew. And also because I knew that the um, obituary had become such an important aspect of, the, of it. And that's when I knew we could film. But I also uh, knew that once we tracked down and figured out Brzezinski, the 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 mystery. I knew that that was likely going to have uh, have a kind of a closure uh, to it. So we we put that off as long as we could, uh, um, and we we wanted to see, you know, what did the other artists think of that, mm-hmm. and and they were all excited to find out, and um, they had varying degrees just like they did with the donut because a lot of people thought that edward had eaten that donuts because he was drunk that night yeah <laughs> and, and other people thought that he'd done it because he was hungry right <laughs> yeah everybody's kind of got their own version of like what happened that night <laughs> yeah right and, and so that's something they love that they love that um and you know but it's interesting when you do a, a documentary and you've never met the person you really get a sense of what a real person this is and and how that this is a real person and that he has real family and that their his family didn't know what had happened to him either and so also the other artists it, he he meant he meant something to them or he didn't mean a damn thing or mm-hmm. you know he 
he was talented, but he was an idiot, you know, and, and, and so they really wanted what they wanted more than anything was to be truthful. And, and, and they wanted to hold me to that and not make this whole scene just sparkly and like on, you know, like, uh, you know, it, like it wasn't. And so it was a lot of responsibility. The more and more that we fi filmed and the more and more that we interviewed uh, to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it probably helped that Edward was like such a polarizing character because it really shows that you're being truthful because of everybody's opinion being totally different. It's not like this movie has one agenda. As a viewer, you can watch it and you can decide whether you think he's a genius or a fucking idiot or whatever. It's like, There's some like layers of beauty in that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, Richard Hamilton... You know, like I said, I assisted him while he painted paintings and things. And he used to he used to say that it's up to the viewer, right? And and he didn't want he didn't want to say what something was or not. And and one thing that he really helped me see was that mystery is a is a tool in your toolbox. And in a lot of ways he said, you'll see a lot of films and, and art and whatnot where they tell you what it's all about as you're watching it. And he said, you know, what a, what a, what a thing to miss out on when you do that. And, and, and Richard's pretty much his whole art was about, about mystery. And so he helped me have the patience to see that that was important and we should wait to figure out and see if we can solve some of these things, but also to keep the mystery always and, and to let the viewer decide. Yeah. That's so cool. Even uh, you're, you're making me think of some people I met over the years and uh, yeah, a musician friend of mine too. Uh, I think this is so, like you mentioned, the mystery is powerful as well. And uh, with her music, she was saying like when she does interviews and stuff, uh, she never really says or tells people what the songs mean. And she says, I write it and it means something to me. But she says, like, the best thing is when somebody comes up to you after the show and it talk about what it means to them and how they interpret it, uh, whether it and it's just in a way uh, she kind of mentioned it turned into like this accidental sociology experiment in a way of how like you can put something out there and people interpret it by their own feelings and just how they grew up or anything like lifestyle and again like that's uh that's what great art can do visual art and movies and all that too yeah that and and that's something um i think that that's very touching that she said that it it actually reminds me of i i also wrote a song once with randy travis okay um and because I like to write as well, and we were making a movie together, and we just happened to. Um, Randy said, "Oh, I I got to write a song for this movie we're doing. It's called Black Dog, and it was with Patrick Swayze." And cool. he said, "Oh, li you know, listen to this song. They want me to write, sing. It's like going down the road, Black Dog, Black Dog." He goes, "I can't sing this thing." He goes, "You want to try and write something?" And so we were just goofing around. And anyway, he said something I always remembered. He's, he's, I said, well, what do you think of these lyrics like this? And, and, and it's, it's kind of embarrassing though, I think. And he goes, he goes, well, a song is only good if it's embarrassing to sing. He said, that's when I know it's good. Mm. And, and, and I try to remember that too, when I made this movie, because of putting in the parts that were embarrassing to, you know, mm. for Edward, and that that's what makes it more honest. It's not a PR piece. It's it's a life exploration. Oh yeah, yeah. Just to have that vulnerability is, I believe, vulnerability is real. You know, and and yeah, yeah and even yeah. the vibe I got uh, from watching it too. It just it's a real and raw film, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for making it too. I feel like. Uh, any type of creative uh, of any level, like whether you're a professional or just like, just 
inspired to do something to, to should watch this and just see that you can make a scene, you know, out of nothing and, and just by doing it and like make all these like amazing relationships and just stories in life and everything. It's uh yeah, it's just, it's a cool film and uh, I, I'm going to continue to share it as uh whatever form you decide to release it in. Uh, I, I, I know uh, it's coming out now as well, right? Yes. Or, right or, now it's yeah. at hot doc cinema. Yeah. And it's playing tonight. It's playing all the way through February 1st. Hot Doc Cinema is a beautiful place, uh, 650 seat theater. And this is the kind of movie where it's good to see it in a theater because you get a sense of the whole crowd um, and they laugh along. And it was always intended. It was always edited, uh, thinking about an audience in mind. Uh, so after this, we go to London. We're going to be at the Bertha Doc House for a, uh, about a week, starting February 17th. And then the Museum of the City of New York is going to do a special screening of the movie in Moonlight and Movies on April uh, 17th in New York City. So we have some very exciting um, uh, places that it's showing and uh, and hopefully we'll just keep hitting theaters until eventually we'll uh, we'll put it on video or streaming so everybody can see it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's going to be so exciting that it's going to New York as well, too, just because of how close knit it is. But uh, yeah, definitely. This needs to be on like a streaming service because, uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I just noticed like people just will, will watch like they any type of documentary like i have friends telling me they run out of they're like so into documentaries they've ran out of them on netflix so like yeah that's, right? it's so cool like uh the, the power of making a documentary to get people to look into different worlds that they might not even be connected to and all that and uh yeah even before we go to i want to just um ask you throughout this journey of making this, obviously it was intensive and even a learning experience and all that. But uh, what is like one thing that maybe you took away after this? Like, is there something you learned about yourself or a filmmaker or anything like that? Well, I'll say I, I learned that I have the greatest wife in the world. <laughs> she is a producer as well as an actress. She was on Broadway and Wicked for many years, but I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you if it weren't for all the invisible strings that she's been pulling all along the way. And even though I edited the movie, um, we we told the story together. Uh, there were there are just so many things that Heather Spore has done um, to make this movie get out there into the world and her s incredible stuff that she does on social media um, on Instagram with Make Me Famous Movie. Um, so I guess if there's one thing that I realized, it's I sure did get a great wife. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> lucky. <laughs> uh, and so we want to bring you all some more stories and we're going to do that. Nice, nice. Yeah. And shout outs to Heather. I know she had a little cameo in the movie as well, too. And uh, yeah, people like that are important for creatives, you know, like, I don't know if you're like me, but like, sometimes I'm all over the place, even with like an idea or making something and you, you need the person to have like the focus and like the scheduling and everything. <laughs> That's right. It's so well, powerful. You know, it is, and Brzezinski had uh, Lenny, right? Yeah, yeah. Lenny, the way the the waiter that turned out to be the most one of the most important people in his life, uh, or, or should I say, uh, up until now. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, but uh, yeah. Once again, I I want to thank you for your time as well. I feel like I could probably talk to you about this movie for four hours and just <laughs> dig into the untold stories. But uh, like like I mentioned, uh, we'll continue to share as it gets released and hopefully streaming VOD, all that. And uh, I really look forward to your next project in the future. Thank you, Sean, and you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Brian Vincent as much as I did. Was a little late posting this one around the Toronto dates of the film. Uh, hopefully, if you were interested, you saw my Instagram stories I shared a bit. But if you are in the New York area, definitely go out. Definitely go out and catch these screenings. 
such a great film and like i mentioned we'll let you know if it gets released anywhere else and share some clips and all that on the creative and balanced socials and before we go like always i gotta give a special thanks to all you legends on the patreon page first up the co-producer Jeremy Hopkin of Hopkin Design, Amanda McKnight of Top 10 Nerd, Ryan Watkins of Ryan Radio, the wonderful Jenny Potter, the man Devin McBride, Ryan frickin' Campbell, Mike, my boy, Ulio, my favorite soul singer, Saber, and last but not least, Francis Coffer, aka my mom. If you want to shout out at the end of every episode and get these episodes raw and uncut right when I'm done the Zoom call, I take the file and I throw it on the Patreon page for you to watch immediately. You can go to patreon.com slash the creative imbalance. And outside of all those incentives, you will go to bed at night knowing you're a badass motherfucker supports independent media and forever have my thanks and with that being said i'm gonna run away we got more episodes for you around the corner and we'll catch you next time cheers